Uh, I want us to read, uh, actually, the, the passage that this story is based on. One of the things I love about that book and why we read it in our kids' class uh, is because it outlines how the whole story is about Jesus. Every single page of the Bible is about Jesus. And this night in particular, and this story in particular, is where the story really starts to reach a climax. Uh, so we're going to read, uh, I'm going to read for us Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. It's going to be on the screen. I invite you, if you have a Bible or a phone, if you want to open it up, uh, it's probably going to sound familiar to you. And when we read familiar passages, it's really important that we actually look at it uh, and actually consider what it has to say. Uh, so this is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to all, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the, of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of the eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is God's word for us this evening. Would you pray with me? God, we receive this word from you, uh, just as you sent your son Jesus, the word among us. As we consider this word tonight, uh, even in, uh, in and amongst having uh, kids among us, God, it's just a reminder that that's how you chose to show up. Uh, so as we consider this word tonight in the next few moments, would you open our hearts and our minds uh, to who you are and what it is that you want to do? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, there's a lot of expectation uh, in this room tonight, right? A lot of expectation. Maybe you had some expectations of uh, of what Christmas Eve service is like, uh, what it should be like, what it shouldn't be like. Uh, there's maybe a lot of expectations among kids or maybe adults for what tomorrow might be like. Uh, but expectations are tricky things, right? They're, they're kind of like, hey, this is what I hope happens. Or this is as I, as I picture like, uh, what I think uh, the ideal Christmas day should be like. Uh, you have some ideas in your head, but their expectations are tricky because when they go unmet... Right? Or when they bump up against reality, uh, you feel some things, right? You feel uh, oftentimes either like disappointment, maybe even some anger, uh, or you feel joy and surprise, right? Because your expectations are here and then something happens and it's like, whoa, I never expected that to happen. 
joy and surprise comes out of you. Or your expectations are here, and then the reality is down here, and you feel disappointment, or depending on how serious it is, you feel maybe even a little bit of anger uh, or a little bit of discomfort. Uh, And this is really important because Luke has primed his story with expectation. He is loaded. He wants us to be thinking and expecting and hoping really good things. He, he's inviting us really to explore our expectations. Because right? like a whole of Luke chapter 1 has been uh, promises and signs and angels and, and prophecies. And, and so for 80 verses, we've been building up the expectation that something is about to happen. But then Luke 2 comes. And Luke 2 is interesting. Uh, you maybe, when you read this, you have pretty low expectations of this passage because you've heard it before. Maybe even as you hear it, you hear Linus, right? That's the only thing you can hear is the voice of Linus, like reading these words. So, so our familiarity, it creates some weird expectations of this passage as well. But, but Luke, immediately in Luke chapter 2, starts talking about Caesar, He's just kind of like out of the blue. He's like, and there was this guy, Caesar. He was really powerful. And then there was this governor. And it's like, okay, Luke, I don't need like the geopolitical like commentary. I just want to know about Jesus. I just want to know what's going on. So, but Luke is tapping into something. You see, the expectation that people had in that day was that God worked through power. And God worked through power and powerful people. In fact, even Caesar Augustus, if you were to like Google this guy, uh, and you were to find a few reputable places, you would find that when Caesar Augustus was born, there was an announcement that was made that said, Caesar Augustus, son of God, has been born bringing peace on earth. Sound familiar? You see, the expectation in their day was that God worked through power. And the more powerful you were, the more likely God was to work through you. The more likely it was that, that you were going to be significant and prominent and that God would show up to you. And so Luke invites the people who are reading this story to explore their expectations of who God is and how God works. And and whether or not you consider yourself a very religious person or a spiritual person, you have some expectation of who God is and how God works. Oftentimes I hear the expectation that that God works by doing nice things for good people or or good things for good people, and, and oftentimes bad things happen to bad people, and that's kind of how God works. So as long as you're nice, then God's gonna work through you, or he's going to answer your prayer, but if you've been naughty, then he's not. Sound familiar? Sound a little bit like a Santa Claus kind of God. You see, oftentimes I think our expectation of God is like that. Now we think God's going to do good things as long as I'm good, and, and so as long as we perform, or as long as we're, we're good enough, or we try hard enough, or, or we go to church enough, or we're moral enough, or our family looks good enough, or, or righteous enough, or healthy enough, then, then it's clearly a sign that God's going to work through me. But what happens when something hard happens or when suffering comes and we can't explain it? That's our expectation of God bumping up against reality. And and so out of that often comes disappointment or or even anger or discouragement. Like what in the world is happening? Everly knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) See, our expectations of God, who he is and how he works, shape our response to him when we encounter him or or when we think that he's going to do something or we want him to do something in our life. Your expectations are really powerful. And Luke wants you to explore that, right? Because your expectations of who God is is going to shape so much about how you live and how you're going to respond when life gets hard. And so Luke contrasts the expectations that people have of how God works, that God works through power, and he smashes it up against the reality 
of Mary and Joseph. Just consider this, like Caesar Augustus, just simply because he wants to, says, I want the whole world to be counted. That's a power move. He wants to know how many people he has so he can tax them. And so he just simply by his power moves the whole world, yet Mary and Joseph can't even move someone out of a room in order to have a baby. Like they, they can't even, and this is probably, they're probably going to like family, right? They can't even convince someone in their family. Like you think you've got a rough family. Like they can't even convince someone to move out of a room so that Mary can have her child in privacy. And so the son of God is born outside in the elements, completely unknown to a completely powerless family. See what Luke is saying is God doesn't work how we expect him to work. And he doesn't show up in the ways that we expect him to show up. And he doesn't show up to the people that we expect him to show up to. We would expect that if God works through powerful people, then he'd show up in Caesar, in his palace. We'd expect that if God works through moral people, then he'd show up at like the, the, the best family in town with the most money. Or if he, if he shows up to, to righteous religious people, then he'd show up in a church service. But instead, he shows up outside to a couple that has no power whatsoever has no economic resources whatsoever. A couple that's been completely overlooked. So God doesn't show up how we expect him to show up, and he doesn't show up to who we think he would show up to. Instead of showing up in power, he shows up in poverty. Instead of showing up to a really righteous place, he shows up among shepherds. Right? The story that we read for the kids alluded to this, that, that shepherds were called names that we can't say in church. Right? They were called uh, all kinds of things. They were outcasts. They were outsiders. They were not considered religiously clean. They were like the overlooked people. They were the kind of people that like, when they brought their sheep through town, the word in the neighborhood was like, turn on your floodlights, make sure your security cameras on your doorbells work because things went missing. That's who these guys were. And yet God shows up to them. And God shows up in a way that none of them could have expected. You see, Luke is pointing to something in his story uh, that you would find out as you read through the story. He expects you to start here and to keep reading. You see, when he says that Mary wraps the baby in swaddling claws and lays him in the manger, he is using the exact same language that he would later use when they said they wrapped him in burial claws and laid him in a tomb. You see, God doesn't show up how we expect him to show up. And that's why people rejected Jesus. Because they're like, this isn't God. This isn't how God works. This isn't how I think God works. And so they weren't willing to examine their expectations of God. And so Jesus was challenging to them. He he confronted them. And they weren't willing to embrace that. But you see, this is the good news of the fact that God doesn't show up how we expect him to show up. Because if he shows up to powerful people, You'll never be powerful enough to get God to show up to you. If he only shows up to moral people, you'll never be moral enough to have God show up to you. If he only shows up to to upright, righteous people, you'll never be upright enough, you'll never be righteous enough for God to show up to you. But if God shows up like this, that's truly good news. You see, what, what we're getting glimpses of is that God is not a God of performance, He's not a God who is moved by power. He is a God who is a God of grace. And and grace means this. This is kind of a churchy word that maybe you've heard before. You think, oh, grace just means I'm praying before I eat a meal. But but grace means this, that that nothing is earned and everything is given. Nothing is earned 
and everything is given. You see, oftentimes we want a God who loves our performance or who wants power because I feel really good about it. I can earn it or I can try. I can, I can say, God, look at all my performance or look at all my power, and it's really about us. But God doesn't work that way. That's not how this God works. Instead, this God is a God of grace. And so how does this God work? He looks for people who have nothing. And he looks for people who are, who are aware of the fact that they have nothing in their hands. And he says, those are the people I want to give my son to. Those are the people that I want to give everything to. That's what grace is. See, God shows up in ways that we don't expect, to people that we would never expect him to. Now, here's the thing. When our reality, when our expectations bump up against reality, we have really two choices. We can hold on to our expectations and say, no, this is how it has to be. And, and then when you encounter God, you're going to be disappointed or even angry. And that's what people did, and that's why Jesus was crucified. Or you can say, if this is God, he shows up like this in poverty and obscurity and rejection, saying, come to me if you're weary. Come to me if you have nothing, and I will give you grace. You can shape your expectations around the reality of that God, and you'll experience joy. You'll experience wonder like these shepherds did. They never expected that God would show up to them, and God did in Jesus. So the invitation of Luke's story is to examine our expectations, to challenge the ways in which our expectations of God are wrong and to reshape them around Jesus who would show up in this kind of way. To reshape them around Jesus who, who would hang his arms on a cross and die so that you and I could know the love and forgiveness of God. You see, all that began here. Jesus takes on a body and the same body that is laid in this manger would eventually be hung on a cross and laid in a tomb for us. And that all it takes is acknowledging, admitting, I've got nothing in my hands. I don't have any power. I don't have any good deeds. I simply have need. And God meets us with his grace by offering us his son. And so that's why it's appropriate on Christmas Eve of all nights to take communion together. Because it's on Christmas that the body of baby Jesus begins its journey towards the cross. That the, the heart that started beating in Mary's womb would stop beating on the cross. That the blood that was running through his veins as he was laid in that manger is the blood that would pour out as he gave his life for us. And so tonight we have an opportunity to be reminded of that. That Christmas isn't just about cute baby Jesus. It's also about the love of God for us by offering his son on the cross. So I want to lead us through a confession together. Uh, and then we're going to respond by taking communion. Confession, uh, what confession does and why we do it in this way is confession confronts us with the reality of ourselves. And we have big expectations for ourselves and we can lie to ourselves about who we are and what's really going on. Confession forces us to face the reality. And we read a confession like this because there's some stuff that if I was honest, if I'm just confessing things, I'm going to keep those things secret. I'm going to keep those things to myself. But when we read a confession together, it's all out there in the open. And some things that I wouldn't think to name are named. Some things that I wouldn't want to name are named. So that I can approach the reality of who God is with my reality and be met by his overwhelming grace. So uh, there's going to be a confession that we're going to read on the screen. Uh, I'm going to lead us through this as we approach uh, the communion table together. 
Uh, we have uh, prepackaged communion that was available in the back. If you need to pick that up, uh, in the next few moments, pick that up. I'm going to lead us through this. I'm going to pray, and we're going to respond in a song. And as that song sings, as that song plays, allow that song to invite you to consider your expectations. You need to confess some things and to be reminded that the gospel story begins here. Uh, so uh, the words that are in bold and italics we'll read together. There'll be a few words that I read, uh, and then we'll enter into a space of responding and communion and confession together. Uh, let's stand, if you're able, and let's say this together. Merciful God, we confess that often we find darkness more comfortable than light. We confess that we find your good news frightening and unsettling, especially when we consider its demands as well as its promises. We confess that Christmas has become more to us than the birthday of the Christ, partly because we do not want a Christ child in our lives or in our world. Forgive us, break us, bend us, remake us. Give us the courage to lay ourselves open to the wonder and healing of your coming. Be born again into our world. Be born again into our hearts and lives. Hear now our silence and personal confessions as we prepare ourselves for your nativity. Let's take just a moment in silent prayer and reflection, considering these words. The good news of Christmas is that God is with us. He's come to us to show us our sin, but not to shame us in it, but to free us from it and to redeem us from it. And so in Christ, we are invited to come into the light and to be forgiven. So hear these words uh, that are on the screen. The true light that enlightens all has come into the world. That light shines on in the darkness and the darkness has never been able to put it out. This is the good news. God has heard our confession. God has forgiven our sin. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. God, we come this night to a manger and to this story of you and human flesh as a child. The mystery that is like crazy it's overwhelming that you would come to us like that. Uh, even like the children that are in this room, God, you were, you were like that at one point. And all of that was so that we could be redeemed, so we could be rescued. And so, God, as we approach communion, as we respond uh, with singing, with prayer, entering into this night where we consider the mystery of who you are, God, would you work in our hearts and minds as we take this communion, as we experience communion with you and one another. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, who is with us. Amen.